Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and the sixth episode of Greens with Envy. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, alongside my co-host, the editor of the magazine, Guy Cipriano. There's a lot of background noise on this episode because we are not in our home studio. We are, in fact, on the road on Interstate 77 North, heading back home to the Cleveland, Ohio area from Myrtle Beach and the annual Carolinas GCSA conference and show. Guy, for some reason, wanted to test out and record a live podcast recording from the car, so we're doing this. We're trying this, and hopefully you actually stick with us through the next 45 or 50 or 55 minutes. Guy, what's going on? How are you? Doing well. We have had an awesome trip, and just to set the scene right now, my ears are popping. I don't know about yours, Matt, but we're driving up a, a mountain. We just crossed into Virginia from North Carolina. We are headed from uh, Pilot Mountain to Withville, Virginia, up Interstate 77. And we thought that this would be fun. I mean, golf course industry are all about trying things different and to innovate. And we thought a uh, recording a podcast while driving back from an event is something new. And hopefully people can put up with the background noise and stick with it. Well, it just goes to show that this, these are the differences between driving and riding. Uh, I didn't even realize that we had crossed over into Virginia. I thought we were still in North Carolina. We were in North Carolina earlier today. Uh, we woke up in South Carolina in Myrtle Beach, drove a couple hours, crossed the border. Uh, we spent our morning at one of the country's most heralded, most beautiful, most historic places. Uh, we did not play one of their old courses. We played one of their new courses. Guy, we were in Pinehurst, and we played the brand-new Cradle this morning, about two years old. Doesn't seem real, does it, Matt? I mean, we w woke up today in our house in Myrtle Beach, and it was kind of a last-minute decision. We got a gracious invitation while we were at the Carolinas GCSA show when Bob Farron found out that we had driven from Ohio to Myrtle Beach to stop by Pinehurst. This is going to make our day a little later, but it was well, well worth it to stand where we stood this morning. So you and I have both seen some very different short courses at big, big name clubs. Um, mine out west, yours, actually not too far from where we are right now. Uh, I, I checked out seven at Desert Mountain earlier this year, and you, during your last trip to the Greenbrier, checked out the Ashford short course. And I also checked out one of the, uh, the big name ones out west this year, one of the more high profile ones. I had a chance in, in January to go to, to Mountain Shadows in Scottsdale, and that was the subject of our April cover story. So we've been all over the place at these short courses. I've toured a few on some of my other visits. I've played a few back home. Uh, we're really in on this thing. Uh, we, we find it to fit people's lifestyles right now. Some of these short courses at places are developing and we saw a dandy today at Pinehurst, man. Right, so the cradle nine holes, it's, is it 786 or 768 yards? It's under 800 yards. It's under 800 yards. Whether it's 768 or 786, it's on 10 acres. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's wonderful because they have a starter shack with uh, Jack Bickart was the starter today. He was the former VP of sales at Pinehurst, and you you pay one flat rate, but then you can pay play all day. 
if you're a member at Pinehurst, you don't pay at all. If you're a guest of a member, you pay, I think it's $50 a day. Um, and then I think it's what, it's two children play for free with every adult. It's just, it's, it's so designed for families. You get there, you don't even need clubs. They've got demo rental clubs and you get a nice little canvas, uh, I think it's a Seamus brand carry bag. It's fantastic. It's walking, obviously, the whole way. There's no carts on a 10-acre course. And just gorgeous. Just, there was no hole under, what, probably 122 yards or over 122 yards? Yep, everything was under 130 yards. It's a pro, It's at a prominent uh, part of Pinehurst's golf offerings. It's right by the clubhouse. It's right along one of the main roads driving the, into into the golf area of Pinehurst. So it, it provides an eye candy. It's one of the first things you see. And it was um, impressive in every way, Matt. You could play the ground game. You could try to play the air game. And what impressed me the most was the conditioning of it. Uh, Superintendent Kirk Proctor is in charge of that. He's also in charge of the three course. And him and his team do a fabulous job. And it is maintained to the standards of a championship golf course. Uh, the greens are champion Bermuda grass, like many of the courses now in Pinehurst are. And everything else is tiff tough. The bunkers are what you'd see on Pinehurst two or four, right? They're they're kind of the uh, the rugged areas with it with the uh, room sedge and some of the other vegetation in it. Uh, a lot of hand maintenance in those bunkers with the natural areas. They're right the Aussie style. Uh, the greens have just unbelievable flows and contours, and there's a punch bowl there. It really feels like you're on a championship golf course that that's exacting. I mean, you really had to hit, hit some shots in in uh, great places to get near the hole, uh, but it's on a much smaller scale than Piner's number two or Piner's number four or some of the other courses in there in town. Uh, we played it in about an hour and five minutes, but that's because we were taking some pictures. We also had some uh, struggles on some holes, uh, some uh, some carnage in the bunkers and some putts that went uh, way by the hole. But we, right. I was going to say, I love how you're speaking with all this authority about the bunkers as if you know anything about them. I took up temporary residence. I was in the bunkers so much today that I needed to pay rent. I think I hit the bunkers on two out of the nine holes. Yeah, and I guess when I said we had some carnage, I meant you had some carnage, right. Matt. But here, here's the beauty of it. So Matt uh, doesn't play golf as much as I do. He's got a wife and child, and he's got some other interests. And, you know, he's he, he loves what, what he does for golf course industry, and he's doing a great job with it, and he shows his zest for it. But he just doesn't have the, the time to play that I do. So he's at, you know, a different skill level. But I knew right away he fit in on the cradle, went on the, the first hole. He, he pretty much rolled one to the green, and that was an awesome shot. And that shows the turf conditions that they had. The turf was firm; it was, it was bouncy. The greens were really tight. You know, you go to fix a, a ball mark, and unfortunately, not everyone fix their, fixes no. their ball marks there. That was kind of sad to see. We tried to help Kurt Proctor <laughs> and his team out as much as we could, but you, you know, you go to fix the ball mark; it's really tight rooting and it's just awesome and we're from the north so we don't get to play that type of golf that much and that that's you know what really i mean i keep on saying the word impressed dazzled i'm throwing out all these adjectives but you felt like you were playing on a bouncy golf course where there are a lot of possibilities uh after we got done uh playing the cradle and, and doing the, the thistle do putting course and spending hundreds of dollars in the pro shop we went down and spoke to to Bob Farron, and, and that's one of the things Bob mentioned to us, that the course is was designed by Gil Hans and Jim Wagner in a way that you could quite conceivably 
use a putter to get through the whole entire thing. And that's something I like to get back and try to do. I know I think it was the the seventh or eighth hole, Matt. You you had about a 70 yard putt and got it got it to the green, which was cool to see. Yeah. And, a, and a putt might have been your best option there with where the pin was on the back. I mean, heck, I hit pin high and rolled off the green and, um, you know, was playing a shot from 20 yards past the green. But, you know, that's that type of golf. It's going to test you. It's something that a lot of Americans aren't used to playing. I know it's something that, you know, as well-traveled as I am, I don't get to play that firm, bouncy golf that much. And it was just so much, uh, it was just so imaginative and creative. And our expectations were high for it. And, you know, to set the scene here, we could have gotten home. We left Myrtle Beach at 7 a.m. today. We could have gotten home probably around 6, 7 p.m. Now we're not going to get home till 11 p.m. And we haven't complained once about that. We absolutely made the right decision to go a little bit out of our way to visit Pinehurst, experience the cradle. And Matt, that was the first time you'd ever been at the at, at the golf part of Pinehurst. What were your impressions when we walked up to the golf shop and you, you saw the scene? Okay, so the last time I was at Pinehurst was probably 2007, maybe 2008. I can't remember for sure when I was working at a newspaper in North Carolina covering UNC, NC State, Duke, um, East Carolina here and there. They weren't in the ACC and they still aren't, but we were covering ACC Media Day for football. And I think we only went to Pinehurst for a day. It was 2007, it was not 2008. And it wouldn't have been 2006, 2007. So it's been about 12 years. Hadn't really seen the golf portion of anything. Um, was really just in the many, many halls of Pinehurst, and stunning was was I think the the word that just kept coming back to me. You drive in, beautiful little hamlet, the village of of Pinehurst. You get to the course. They were prepping one of their trains, presumably for Christmas. This fuchsia-colored train, six or seven cars, putting a wreath on the back of it. My three-year-old would love it because it's pink purple, and you see the cradle right from the road. You see groups of three or four just going around. You can see the entire course from one shot. And every hole, you can see the clubhouse. That's one of the big, big pluses, uh, both for players and for the club itself, is that you're never that far from the clubhouse. You're never that far from food or beverage options. It's, it's really smart. From a golf perspective, it's really smart from a business perspective, too. I think they said they did, what, 37,000 players, not necessarily 37,000 rounds, because you buy the whole day pass to play on the cradle. So there may be 50,000 rounds, 60,000 rounds. I don't know how many times people are playing this. But 37,000 players uh, last year. And, and none of them were that far from the course. And I'm sure none of them had a bad time. Very few of them had a bad time. It was a blast. Even I hit three uh, pars out of nine. Yeah, and the revenue, you talk about golf being a business, right? And Pinehurst is a resort, and Pinehurst is trying to attract golfers from all over the United States and also all over the world, right? It's a name brand. It's one of the most well-renowned uh, golf courses, golf resorts anywhere, but there's a lot of competition out there. This is something that uh, they tried because some of the competitors were doing it and because it just fit the land. They, they, they found some land on the uh the, the, they redid some of course number three to open up the, the land to build the uh, the cradle. And if you think about it, 10 acres, 37,000 players on it, uh, 50 bucks per player. You know, who knows if everybody was paying that 50 bucks, people could have been on packages and that type of thing. But when you talk about golf as a business, uh, the revenue per acre there is very 
high, and that's uh, that's what golf facilities need to do to, to to keep going and to be viable and to make capital improvements. Is find ways to get as much revenue as possible. You know, it wasn't open today, but there was a little um, drink stand called the Pine Cone out there. You know, there are Adirondack chairs. I'm sure people play a few holes, sit down, have a few drinks. And another thing we forgot to mention is that there was music playing all the time. Country music was playing the entire time. There were there were some speakers uh, throughout the course and. I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I thought that was cool as heck. There was an energy out there. You felt like you weren't somewhere stuffy. You felt like you were somewhere that was open, that could be open and accessible to anyone. I mean, the, the 50 buck price tag might seem high for nine holes and you know less than 800 yards at first, but when you play it, if, if, if you pay that and you, you got two kids with you, that's uh, less than 20 bucks ahead. And if you're playing the cradle multiple times, it's, it's, a, it's a flat out, bargain you know the the bermuda grass has gone dormant so we were hitting off mats today which is fine i don't think that really affected anybody or yeah. anybody was complaining about you, it you, everybody you was happy gonna, to be out there you weren't gonna have a tease anyway no no when i play short courses i never tee the ball up i just throw it down and uh, play it as it lies when i get to the tee box so i can work on my game so uh awesome uh we also got to go into the uh the village of piners afterwards for a little bit bit after uh, we spoke with bob farron uh, and that kind of turned into a rabbit hole for us because one thing led to another, and we had an interesting uh, experience in the old golf shop, Matt. Right, we went to two shops. You picked up, what, four or five books? Yeah, four books. So the, the golf course industry bookshelf will be expanding tomorrow. So we went into, I think it was the Pinehurst bookstore, the, the golf bookstore. I can't remember what the other shop was called. They had a nice variety, but we spent some time in old golf shop, not even the old golf shop or ye old golf shop, just old golf shop, the proprietors there, um, and we're recording in the dark, so I'm trying to rely on the brightness of my computer screen to read this, Mike Daniels, and then, uh, Bob Hansen was the gentleman we talked with for a while, uh, and Bob was fantastic, Bob actually one of the early, maybe, maybe one of the early folks to combine agriculture in business, he went to Rutgers, a New Jersey native, and he spent five years at Rutgers, earned his turf degree, studied business and finance as well, and among many, many other things, is, is worked with architects, and he's an architect himself, but he now has helped collectors sell their collections of books and collections of memorabilia, and he has, what did he say, 9,000 golf books in a warehouse, and he did not say where that warehouse was, because I think he thought you were going to try to go to the warehouse and just take the hundreds and hundreds of books. No, he was very coy about it, but the, this, <laughs> this guy was obviously a serious golf yes. collector. And what struck me as the most fascinating thing is, uh, you know, we, we go into the shop and he, he's eyeing us and probably wondering who, who, who these two guys are. And he was kind of quiet. He said hello. He was nice enough and kind of let us do our thing. And we were looking in the corner and I noticed that there were a lot of turf grass maintenance books and really old ones. You're talking like Piper and Oakley and old Scott's Lawns books and James Beard books and uh, I mean a, a, a Musser book. And you know, I, I finally went up to him and said, boy, you have a lot of uh, turf grass books in here. And he, he, he kind of started chatting with us. Well, said, before he started chatting, yeah, he... He said that they're in demand. He said a lot of yeah. golfers come in there and they're wanting to learn more about turf grass maintenance and architecture. And he said that this is the most uh, interest he's seen in those two topics in his entire time in the game in, in the game of golf. 
and he said he can't really keep turf grass books, old turf grass books on the shelf right now. So we thought that was fascinating. We then blew our cover and told him what we did. You know, a lot of the times when we go to places where, you know, just golf courses is paying customers or golf shops just as, uh, as Guy and Matt, we don't really tell people what we do. We kind of just be, we want to be a, a, a golf loving person like everyone else. We don't want to be the magazine editors. We want to be the people that enjoy the game and receive so much uh, uh, fulfillment from being involved in the game and seeing other people love it you know we just want to be one of them sometimes but we blew our cover and told him what what we did and then we got on to talking to him a little more and it turns out he does read golf course industry so fascinating encounter you know we would have never had that encounter if we had flown to Myrtle Beach we'd have never stopped at Pinehurst uh you know it was the first time Matt and I had played golf together too you know Matt started at golf course industry in April we just hadn't had a chance to go out together because we we've uh traveled so much and have uh, different things going on outside work sometimes and it was uh, a pretty special place to to play our first round of golf together and have that type of experience uh which we didn't even expect to have two days ago no and what took us down to the Carolinas obviously we started in Myrtle Beach we got down Sunday morning we left Saturday afternoon got down Sunday morning just in time for you to play a couple of rounds uh, leading off the annual Carolinas GCSA show in Myrtle Beach just a tremendous show it was my first it was your fifth and you'll turn the tables on me here in a minute but even after four of these prior what did you expect coming in because I had my expectations. I thought it would be a great show. It was. What did you expect coming into your fifth uh, GCSA Carolina show in the last six years? Oh, sorry for the delay on answering that, Matt. We got someone driving really slow in the left lane, and uh, it bothered me. But uh, no, it was. Yeah, it was my fifth one. I've been fortunate to go to these uh, every year now, and uh, for for me, it was about seeing seeing uh, uh, friends and making new friends. There were some new wrinkles in the show this year, which is great. And that's one of the things that the Carolinas GCSA does an awesome job of is they try not to make it feel like the same old, same old, although there are certain elements where it is repeatable, like the venue and some of the um, places that some of the companies are on the trade show floor. And I think that repeatability is great too, because people like consistency from the events, but there were some new things going on. And right off the, uh, get-go on Sunday night there was a an event for assistant superintendents which was organized by assistant superintendents and that was awesome uh, it was at a place called Bandito's and it was really um, promoted heavily heavily through social media which is uh, which is awesome because that's how a lot of the uh, the, the uh, next generation of turf managers communicate and it was uh, promoted that way and they got a couple dozen probably what by the end of the night there were what 70 80 people i think so at this rented out space at banditos which is a which is a cool um cantina uh ocean side although we couldn't really see the ocean because it was dark out and it was great to see assistant superintendents who did not know each other show up at this thing and meet each other and share stories and and realize that you know you're not alone sometimes right you could be an assistant superintendent and who knows where in the carolinas uh, in Mount Airy or or Rocky Top or, or Highlands and you might be the only assistant superintendent in that area or not know the people at the courses nearby and it really uh, gave these these uh, people a chance to interact with each other and it was great because later in the night the, um, the Carolina GCSA board and executive director Tim Krieger showed up to the event and then uh, the current GCSA president Rafael Barajas and the past GCSA president, Darren Davis, showed up. So you have all these assistant superintendents that got to meet uh, some people in the industry who maybe they've 
read about or heard a podcast with or or have uh, heard others talk about they got a chance to meet them firsthand so it was a really fun night uh matt it was really your first um night at at the Carolinas and then it went into the, the golf outing and the, the seminars on Monday and then the trade show on Tuesday and Wednesday and really what were your impressions of it what were your expectations and how did the time there compare to those expectations so Monday and we'll circle back to all the golf outings because you played a couple of great courses we'll get to those in a few minutes I went to a seminar on Monday with Bud White uh, out of Texas out of the Dallas area Conroe I believe is where he's from and more than 40 years in the industry, more than 22 years on the green section, and continuing the theme of assistance, he designed a three and a half hour seminar for assistant superintendents, just some of the, the tips and tricks, most common problems that he and others have seen. And just And it was really, it was nuts and bolts and really deep. It wasn't, you know, 30,000 feet. It was, it was really on the ground. It was, it was very detailed stuff, not just like, hey, and when you get a year in or two years in, you need to watch out for this. No, and this this is irrigation issues. And these are all sorts of other issues. Again, dark. I don't have my notes in front of me. Um, but I thought it was a great event. There were about 30 people at that seminar. I can't speak for other seminars because I chose to sit in on that one and, and I wrote about it for the website. But, you know, that's, that's the depth of education that's there, you know, three and a half hours deep dive there. There were some of the great seminars that I just popped my head in on Tuesday, um, career path. And that was one that stood out. There were all sorts of Suija seminars. I think Casey Koff came up from Trinity Forest uh, outside Dallas to, to talk about Suija grass for seven hours with a variety of co-presenters. Just a lot of great education there, I thought. Yeah, and it's like that way every year, and it's really tailored to the attendees, right? Like uh, at a regional show like that, you can uh, really pinpoint what the attendees need and, and what type of issues they're having throughout the course of a year or throughout the course of their careers and really you know, get down and, and tailor it to that region. But it's a tough region to plan education events for because you have superintendents working with warm season grasses and you have superintendents working with cool season grasses. And the Carolinas GCSA does a great job of having education for both climate types. And uh, yeah, there are just so many things to learn there. Uh, I actually took some time on Tuesday to sit in on the first half of a seminar with Jared Nemitz, the uh, superintendent at the Peninsula Club outside of Charlotte, and Nelson Karen, the director of golf course and grounds at the Ford Plantation outside Savannah. Uh, Jared was uh, a former assistant superintendent for Nelson who got the head superintendent job at the Peninsula Club in 2014. And Jared is a dwarf Bermuda grass genius. I mean, the data he has and the ability that he gets it to, to get it to perform at the levels that his members uh, expect is just, it's almost second to none in the golf business. He's got some of the best greens in the Southeast and Charlotte isn't an easy place to, to grow grass. And, and Nelson's been doing it now since 2008 at the Ford Plantation and another, another tough growing environment outside Savannah. So, you know, how cool is that, that when Nelson became the superintendent, the head agronomist at the Ford Plantation in 2008, uh, the first assistant superintendent he hired was Jared Nimitz. And 11 years later, their co-presenters at a seminar at the Carolinas GCSA show. The room was absolutely packed for it. They got into some next level stuff. Some of the data 
and techniques that they uh, dove into were probably, uh, they were definitely over my head. Uh, they maybe even been over the heads of some of the attendees. That's how sophisticated these two uh, turf grass managers are. Uh, enjoyed seeing them, catching up with them. They took little digs at each other during the presentation, which was fun. Uh, Jarrett is a self-proclaimed turf nerd, and Nelson kind of kept calling him that during the presentation. So they had some fun with it. They did a tremendous job. It was great to catch up with them a little before they went uh, in front of the room and present it. And, yeah, that was awesome to sit in on, and that was one that really stuck out to me. But there were so many other good ones. You know, I wish uh, Matt and I could clone ourselves and, uh, and and attend all of them. You know, unfortunately, we can't. And then uh, we went in, you know, Tuesday night, the trade show started, and that was your first uh, industry trade show, I believe, Matt. What were your, uh, what were your thoughts walking around the, the show floor and, and seeing some of the booths and meeting the people that you did there? Well, I'd done, I'd done some trade shows in the past. Uh, the biggest was when I covered manufacturing, and I, I went over to Germany to cover the Hanover Messe, the Hanover Fair a few years ago, which is, I don't even remember, like nine giant warehouses big. But, you know, your, your point, your point about um, just the camaraderie, you know, you, you speak to guys who worked together 11 years ago and now they're co-presenters. I think that speaks to the camaraderie that you see everywhere on the floor. You see- Oh boy, there's a Dunkin' Donuts coming up. We're not stopping for Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, you, you don't need to get off the highway. No, we, we don't need to break this podcast up into twos. Well, we wouldn't break it up. We would just record, like, going through the drive-thru. We're not doing it. Stay on 77. We're almost to West Virginia. That's the hardest part. But there are no Dunkin' Donuts off of 77 in West Virginia. There's nothing off of 77 in West Virginia except for the Tamarack. Oh, yeah, but we spent enough time in gift stores and enough money in gift stores today. There's no need for us to go to the Tamarack tonight. You're not really getting Dunkin' Donuts, are you? No, I was just kidding. I just wanted to make the podcast feel like we were actually on the road. We are on the road. People can hear the background noises. <laughs> yes, we are. This is really happening. Anyway, so Matt was talking about the camaraderie. So anyway, the camaraderie that you see, you see it in the seminars and you see it on the floor. And I think that was one of the big things. It, it, it hit me everywhere very quickly. You know, I've been covering the industry for about eight months now. And it's been evident almost from day one. But it gets more and more evident every time I get a chance to go to big events like Carolina's GCSA, probably GIS here in a few months. I'll see the same thing. Um, it's just, and, and pardon my language here for just a second, but I'm sure there are some assholes out there in this industry. There've got to be a few, not many, but there just don't seem to be any assholes. Everybody is a nice, for the most part, guy. The, the women that are in the industry are great. But everybody's a great, great guy or a great woman. Um, everybody gets along. Everybody helps. It's collaborative. There's competition, sure, but it's not cutthroat like in a lot of other industries. And it's just very, very refreshing. And I'm sure the people, you know, guy, you've been covering this for about six years now, the industry. Um, you know, the folks who've been in this for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, it's probably not lost on them. But maybe it is, and and if it is, I don't know. Just don't take it for granted the fact that ninety nine point nine nine eight percent of the people in this industry are genuinely good, caring people, um, without an asshole bone in them. It's really really refreshing. And here's what I tell people when I go to an event like the Carolinas GSA conference and show: is they're lucky to have that event. They're lucky they're people 
like like executive director Tim Krieger and his staff, Angie Davis, you know, Trent, our friend Trent Bouts, Alan Knight. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some names, but there are countless people that make sacrifices to keep these associations going and work for these associations. And don't ever take it for granted because most industries don't have events like no. the Carolinas GCSA conference and show. We have nothing like that really in our publishing industry, Matt. And uh, yeah, you don't have uh, industry partners and companies you know, writing the checks to let these associations and their members go to these events. I mean, it takes a lot of money to put these on. And there's some companies that make giant commitments to, to, to spend you know, three or four days at Myrtle Beach or spend a week at the golf industry show. And those companies have tough financial decisions to make. They're, they're ultimately a business and they have a bottom line. And these companies sometimes make big financial sacrifices that they don't need to make to, to support these events. You know, some of these companies could not show up at the golf industry show or some of the regional shows and still do business as usual in the golf market. And that's the thing that I, you know, when you, when you see people that work for these companies, be sure to be sure to thank them, be sure to appreciate it. And, uh, you know, that's what I tell people. And, it, and I also tell people when I go to the Carolinas that, that not every uh, industry association is like that, right? Like it's different in other parts in the country. Not everyone has the opportunities that the superintendents in the Carolinas do to go to a major regional show in an affordable place like Myrtle Beach and a place where you can even do some outdoor things in November. So uh, it, it really is special and and I, I'm envious of it because yeah, we're part of the industry, but we're not golf course superintendents. We cover it, but we're not really one of them, although they treat us like one of them sometimes. And we don't have this stuff in what we do, Matt, and people in other industries don't have this stuff and it, it really takes big commitments to keep it going. And also you mentioned the, uh, the asshole factor, right? Like that you haven't met an asshole in the industry yet. Not yet. And I would say yeah, I've been in it for almost six years now. And when you're dealing with people who deal with major un uncontrollable variables like weather and people, and they also don't own the business, it really weeds out those types of people. And they're very few jerks. I mean, you, you hear stories about some people and maybe you meet an abrasive person every now and then, but but people are in it because they really want to be in it. And, you know, there just aren't those type of egos in it because it can be such a humbling thing so quickly managing a golf course. And as we hit the 77-81 split and we continue on 77 North, one of the other things that really hit me right out of the gate was some of the first folks we met at the show and on the trade show floor were one of your old uh, golfing buddies, and by old golfing buddy, I mean you guys played around, I think, the day before, in Ashley Wilkinson. Don't be calling Ashley old, or me. No, I was saying, like, old golfing buddies, like, you went back a long time, when in reality you'd golf together, like, the day before. <laughs> um, no, Ashley Wilkinson and, and Charles Granger of Ori Georgetown, and that was one of the things, too, that struck me, was just how many students there were. Uh, Ori Georgetown was well well represented. Clemson was well represented. NC State, there were students from, I think, Catawba and Central Piedmont and Sandhills. And I don't know what the number was. I know there were about 44 students participating in Turf Bowl, and we'll get to that in a second. But it was just great because you've got this event that already has more and more events seemingly every year lined up for assistants and younger folks. And then you have specific events designed for turf grass students 
it's just it's a huge positive and, and I'll let you have a have a say on this and then we'll get into the turf bowl which was tremendous fun I covered it like it was a sporting event that was the most inspiring thing about the conference and show was seeing so many young people there. You know, kudos to every superintendent in the Carolinas who made sure that his or her assistant superintendent could come because that show probably means more to an assistant superintendent that's going there for the first or second time than a superintendent who's been there for 35 years, right? Because the assistant superintendent is trying to make contacts and trying to learn about how business is done on a trade show floor and trying to get credits through some of the seminars and maybe get a lead that helps them get a head superintendent job one day. And uh, yeah, I'm very serious. That's a very real thing that the event is probably meaningful to the people going to it the first or second time and the people that have been to it, you know, for 30 or 40 years, although it's important to those people too. And the college involvement's also awesome. And, you know, the Carolinas GCSA, by having things like the Turf Bowl and uh, seminars for assistant superintendents and a, and a networking event for assistant superintendents is really starting to uh, protect itself moving forward. It's no secret that associations are trending older and it makes you wonder when some of the people heavily involved in them retire, you know, what's next? What's the future? And the Carolinas GCSA is uh, securing its future by tailoring, tailoring to the uh, to the younger, younger people in the industry in the Carolinas. And that's something that other associations should take note of because it really, uh, you know, some of these associations are gonna be teetering. That's just the reality of it. Things are so much different. The face-to-face -face contact is awesome, but there's so many other ways to get information out there and, and network. And, you know, who's to say one way is better than the, the next? You know, I think the old, old guard would say that, the, you know, nothing replaces face-to-face -face conversation, but there may be some people in their teens and 20s that say that they get more out of using social media or texting someone than they do face-to-face. -face. Neither is right or wrong. They're just different. So the Carolinas GCSA is in a really good spot because they're developing the next generation of show attendees, of board of directors, and people that are going to support the companies that support the show too. So that's inspiring to see. And uh, yeah, Matt, you got to see the, the, the Turf Bowl. It probably harkened back to your sports writing days and just explain to people what you saw without using too many Caddyshack references. Yeah. Well, it's going to be tough to do that because the final question, you have 60 questions all about turf grass and turf science and bugs and cool season turf and warm season turf and all these specifics and I knew zero of those answers. And then we get to the final where you can wager any or all of the points you've racked up in your second championship game. And the category is, is it sports turf management in the movies or, or, or golf management in the movies? And of course the answer was Carl Spackler, uh, Bushwood's lovable, crazy greenskeeper, and maybe Masters champion of the future, I'm not sure. And it was curious that this very scientific event, the 20th annual Carolinas GCSA Turf Bowl, came down to a Carl Spackler question, which I knew, and only one of the four teams participating knew, which blew my mind. Um, but before that, it was great to see there were 11 teams, 44 students. I believe they were from seven or eight different schools. And it was just great to see them out. It was great to see them um, in this event, trying to win it, trying to hoist the cup. It came down to, if you have not seen the story on 
golfcourseindustry.com. It came down to two teams from Ori Georgetown versus two teams from NC State. Clemson was actually shut out. Their teams did not qualify for the championship in a bit of an upset. Matt, can I interrupt you for a second? We are making podcasting history. This might be the first time a podcast has ever been recorded going through a tunnel. We're going through big Walker Mountain Tunnel, I believe that's what it's called, in Virginia. We're just north of Whitfield right now. So, uh, yeah, how cool is it to be recording a podcast in a tunnel and talking about Carl Spackler and the colleges in the Carolinas at the same time? This is this is pretty unique. What is my life right now? I don't even know. Um, I don't know if it's the first time a podcast has ever been recorded in a tunnel, but certainly the first time a superintendent radio network podcast has ever been recorded in a tunnel. And we're out. So it came down to two teams from Ori Georgetown and two teams versus NC State. And the shocker was that NC State's A team had this pretty big lead. Um, Ori Georgetown's B team made a run in the category bugs and stuff. And they were able to close within, I think it was 200 points by the end of the round. Huge upset. They closed an 1,100-point gap to 200. And then they missed Carl Spackler, but they wagered very, very small. So Ori Georgetown won its ninth, the Mold Crickets, won their ninth um, Turf Bowl championship in the last 20 events. But it was the B team that got it done, not the A team. Three of those four young men, uh, well, two were in their 30s, but three of those four young men were in their first months of turf school. One was in his second year. So these are guys who learned a lot on their own. They learned a lot with... Um, entomologist George McCauley, who's on the faculty there, one of the things Ashley Wilkinson said was this was the least involved he'd been with the Ori Georgetown Turf Bowl team in recent years, so it was more a credit to those guys uh, than anything that the professors did, which was really cool to see. One of the other things great to see was the host of the event, Bo Barefoot, had each of the players stand up, face the audience, introduce themselves, tell the audience where they're from, and in the first round, it was one interesting thing about themselves, whether that was, you know, special talents or one player said that he had had lunch at Subway. Okay, it worked. He got a laugh. You know, public speaking, it's good. In the second round, it was name, where you're from, and what your goals are in the industry. And a few players were very, very specific. They wanted, you know, to see tech maybe become bigger and, and have autonomous mowers and optimizing operations for various courses, high-level high stuff for, for kids, most of them in their early 20s or even late teens. Uh, and probably half of them said just outwardly, I want to be a superintendent, a golf course superintendent. A few were even more specific. I want to be a golf course superintendent at a top 100 course. So these kids are focused. And again, it ties back to making these contacts and, you know, trying to lay the groundwork for your career. So I love the turf bowl. I got to actually cover some trivia. I've been writing and hosting trivia on the side for the last eight years. So it was really fun to cover an event rather than have to prepare questions and answers for it. Yeah, and bravo to Bo Barefoot for making the students get up and speak because communication skills are just as important as turf grass management skills in the industry. So that's a, a great environment to have. Um, students go up and say something about themselves in front of their peers and bravo to the student that ate lunch at Subway because Myrtle Beach is a very difficult town to eat healthy in and Subway is one of the few healthy eating options in Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. 
Although I do think Bo was a little crestfallen that none of the players, none of the student players, expressed an interest in getting into sales. They all wanted to be golf course superintendents. Nobody wanted to be in sales. Uh, one of the other highlights of the event was the last morning, uh, Wednesday morning, we finally got to see the Smith Brothers receive the Distinguished Service Award 25 years after their father received that award. That was pretty cool, guy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a special family. They've done so many things for golf course superintendents uh, throughout the Carolinas, and I'm sure they've even done things for superintendents beyond that region. I know they have relationships in Virginia, too. Uh, what a wonderful thing to see them up there. I thought it was funny when Steve Smith joked that um, Wayne Smith isn't his father. Uh, there's a significant <laughs> age difference between the two, and uh, I guess uh, Wayne Smith has been called Steve's father before. So that was, that was, uh, it, was it was cool to see. And you know, one of the great things that the Smiths have done a lot of great things. And a few years ago, Turner Revels from the John Deere dealership in the uh, region got the, the same award. So uh, it was cool to see Turner Revels in the room to see his competitors get honored like that. I think that shows the camaraderie and fellowship in the Carolinas GCSA. But one of the things that uh, Smith Turf and Irrigation did years ago was that they really stepped up and sponsored the Carolinas GCSA conference and show golf championships because that was really down to about 50 players from what I understand. And on Monday of this week, the event had 369 players spread across three golf courses. It's really uh, one of my highlights of the show. I got to play uh, on Monday in the um, in the four ball with uh, Trent Bounce, who's the the editor of the Carolinas Green Magazine, a big friend of uh, many superintendents in the Carolinas, and a huge friend of Golf Course Industry Magazine. He writes for us. He writes a few long stories for us each year. Uh, we got to play in that at Wachusett Plantation at Tom Fazio Design and Murals Inlet. Uh, there were some great holes on that golf course. The greens were fabulous. Superintendent Scott Fritz and team had uh, three inches of rain over the 10 days prior to the tournament and they had the golf course in, in fabulous uh, November condition. Uh, just a lot, a lot of fun. And uh, you know, the only, the only bummer about the golf outing is you play as a shotgun, right? So we started on the uh, the fifth hole. So you don't play the holes kind of has, as the architect intends them to be played. And that's just the nature of it. When you have so many players playing at the same time, you can't start everybody on one and 10, right? So the only uh, bummer was that the 18th hole there is super, super memorable. It's a drive over some like marshy wetland areas to a to a fairway that's a bit tricky to hit. And then the second shot has, uh, it's kind of a tight landing area with a marshy wetland area on the left. And then the green has just this fabulous view of the Waccamaw River. It's just one of the best uh, finishing holes I've seen in Myrtle Beach. I've probably played two dozen Myrtle Beach golf courses over the years, and it might be the best finishing a hole I've seen, but it really would have been even more awesome if that actually was our 18th hole. But such is the nature of a, you know, th that type of a tournament. But really, there are, uh, you know, 369 players on three courses. You're really at max capacity there, and the possibility exists to add a, a fourth golf course to it, and you're going to have well over 400 players if that happens. And think about that: a golf outing that had. You know, 50, only 50 players at one time is uh, spread out over four courses. There are all sort. It could be four courses in the future. There's all these different formats, and it might be the, it might be the biggest. It might, it might be on pace to become the biggest golf outing in our side of the golf industry. That was Monday. You also got to play Sunday at Tidewater, a course designed by uh, Ken Tomlinson, although probably a little windier than you seen a course at least this year probably 
yeah, I've never played golf in Scotland or Ireland or England, but the winds had to f over there have to feel like what we experienced uh, on on Sunday at Tidewater, and I heard it was like that all over the Grand Strand. I think gust. When I looked at my phone, the highest I saw gust at were 37 miles per hour. I'm not used to playing in that type of wind, but it was fun. Uh, I think maybe some of the locals and some of the Carolinas, people thought it was a little bit cold and maybe they uh, either canceled their golf plans or felt miserable out there in you know, low 50 degree weather and those type of winds. But for us northerners to get outside and play golf in November, it's always special and it was special to play at Tidewater. That's a fabulous uh, golf course too. Uh, the superintendent there is Sean Donahoe, who we actually bumped into during our round. I played with uh, Ashley Wilkinson from Maury Georgetown. Him and I play the Sunday before the Carolina show every year. And we played with uh, Jeff Brower from Sand Trapper. And we, we ran into Sean Donahoe on the 10th tee. Him and a few crew members were uh, installing a Pondhawk system. And if you're not familiar with Pondhawk, it's a solar powered pond aeration. It's a really innovative product and Tidewater's looking to clean up some of the ponds and make them healthier on the golf course to even make great aesthetics even better. So it was cool to see the installation process with Sean and some of his crew members. They were adding two on the, by a pond on the 10th hole, they had two on the 14th hole. But Tidewater is kind of a two different golf courses. You have some holes that are that are on the marshy areas that, that feel like coastal holes. In fact, they're, you know, after the uh, par 5 13th hole, you look out over the green and you see, actually see the Atlantic Ocean. And then they have some holes that are wooded too. So it feels like you're kind of in a, in a, uh, a pine tree, heavy uh, inland type golf course. So two different types of holes. It's a dramatic setting. Uh, there are some great, great par threes right along the marsh. It's very challenging par threes, especially when the wind's whipping like that. Uh, awesome course. Uh, if you ever get a chance to play it, definitely do it. That was uh, pretty special to play that the Sunday before the Carolina show. Uh, saw a lot of high-level maintenance from Sean and his team, and uh, also it was a high-level challenge playing in that win, and I actually welcomed it. You know, I don't get to play in wind like that that, that that often. Like I just said earlier in the podcast, we don't play in firm conditions up north that often because of the weather that we have and the type of soils, and uh, nothing you can do but embrace those type of challenges. And it really, uh, I, I felt like it, it made me a stronger golfer. I know playing in Monday in 50 degree weather and no wind, it almost felt easy, right? Golf's never easy, but it felt uh, definitely different. It's like running a marathon one week and then two weeks later running a half marathon, playing in that wind and then playing in a calm day. But no, you know, we get some wonderful opportunities when we travel and it was special to play those, those golf courses on back-to-back -back days with uh, industry friends. You've run a marathon, right? Yes, and that was uh, one of the least pleasurable experiences of my life. So running a marathon versus the round on Sunday in the wind, very similar? No, running a marathon is much tougher. I would even say running a mile is much tougher than anything experienced on a golf course, even if you're walking. Uh, there's definitely a fitness element to golf if you're carrying your bag, but nothing about golf is that physically taxing. To a person that's in good shape, to a person that takes care of his or her body and is in decent shape, nothing on a golf course should be that physically taxing. So that wraps up the Carolina's GCSA portion of the show, unless you have anything else you want to dive into. Nope, we're already looking forward to next year. 2020 should be fun. Um, we did get to see a couple other courses while we were there. One of the normal, standard golf variety, and a few 
miniature courses. Let's talk about the Witch first, which is one of the three courses under the Mystical Golf brand, along with the Wizard and Man of War. They had reached out, a PR rep had reached out to us a few weeks ago, telling us that you know, the Witch is here, they, they are going into some changes here coming up. Would you like to come on out and see the course? And we did, and we got to meet uh, Claude Perdue, the president and the CEO, and we also got to talk with both the superintendent of The Witch, uh, great, great guy, Roy Holzberg, and Bill Walton. Not that Bill Walton. Bill Walton, the superintendent of The Wizard and Man of War, also there. So we got all three perspectives. You know what? Coming right off the highway or coming right off the, the divided road, you can almost drive past it. There's one hole you see from the road. And then you drive back in there. And, guy, I think we had very similar reactions. The front nine was built on this 500-acre swamp, and it almost felt like a sanctuary. It was really something. Yeah, one of the things a really good golf course does is give you a, a sense of place, right? Like you feel like you're somewhere different. You feel like you're away from the, whatever the daily um, stresses are of your your regular life and we got out into this front nine at the witch which is one of three golf courses owned by mystical golf which is the uh, uh claude pardue owns mystical golf and he's the president and ceo and they oversee three golf courses the witch and uh, man of war and the, the wizard so we we met claude and the, the two superintendents at the witch and uh really the witch you feel like you're in a different place on that front nine it's a dan maples design dan maples is uh from a herald of golf family but he's really one of those golf course architects he probably doesn't receive as much uh, praise as he should for the work that he did over the course of his career. And yeah, holes were just carved through these these pine trees and oak trees and they just weave in different directions and it just flows so beautifully. Uh, as you mentioned though, it's in a swamp. The drainage isn't the best. No, but it flooded last year too. Uh, Roy and his team do a fabulous job with what they have. The resources are very limited. Uh, with the mystical golf superintendents. I mean, they are doing the most they can with the, what they have. They're given enough to do the job, but they don't have like two dozen people on their respective crews. Uh, there, there's some changes this year. They decided to oversee the rough. So it's an entirely green golf course. Uh, that's something that Claude wanted. And it's something that Claude, Claude is very adamant about. He, right. he feels from uh, being involved in the Myrtle Beach market for over 30 years that the clientele there wants a certain aesthetic. and. You know, he's put some money into the wishes here to provide it wall to wall. The courses had always overseeded it's overseeded their fairways and uh, the Bermuda grass greens at the witch have been overseeded with uh, Poe Trivialis. Now, Man of War and the Wizard have bent grass greens, so think about that bent grass greens and Myrtle Beach. There aren't a lot of those left, so that's a, that's a struggle, but they keep them alive and they do a great job too in the summer. So it was cool to meet those superintendents and to meet Claude. You know, it was interesting because we interviewed him. Uh, Claude was with us. So the superintendents were uh, kind of deferring to Claude on a lot of questions because Claude is a very, how would you say it? Um, he's steadfast. He's a personality and yeah, he's steadfast. He has been in this industry for, we're going through another tunnel now, by the way. He's been in this industry for about 35 years and he knows what he likes and he has had enough customers that He's got a pretty good idea of what he thinks his customers want. That's value and green grass. Yeah, and you're not going to convince Claude of uh, another perspective or another way of doing things. I mean, when you own golf courses, you can do whatever you want with them, right? You're the one signing the paychecks. But, right. no, it, it was quite a contrast because we visited there on Wednesday, 
and then went to Pinehurst on Thursday and going from an overseeded wall-to-wall golf course at the pitch to Pinehurst where they're not overseeing their uh, their keys and fairways. And, you know, both forms of golf are beautiful, right? Like, and there are different clientels and d- different expectations in each of those places and different ways of communicating with customers. And it was it was uh, interesting to see that contrast in less than a 24-hour period. But what a great experience. And that's one thing, Matt, that uh, we really try to do at Golf Course Industries. When we have an event, we try not just to spend our entire time in the convention center or on the trade show floor. We try to get out and see some things. And you'll be seeing uh, stories about these places soon in the in the magazine and website. And along those lines, I'll be heading down to Winston-Salem for an event in a couple of weeks, early December. So if you are in Winston-Salem and you want me to visit your course, reach out, M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net. Let me know, and I'll try to schedule in some Winston-Salem stops. We're in West Virginia, by the way. Yes, we just crossed into West Virginia. We will not try to sing country roads, but we have uh, we have now crossed into two different states in less than an hour. I finally feel like we're making progress. We're happy to be in West Virginia. Uh, but yeah, we have a few more golf courses to talk about. Matt, we got to play some miniature golf too in Myrtle Beach. Right, so this morning at Pinehurst, we played the uh, uh, Thistledew, which I believe is a play on This Will Do, Thistledew, which is just an incredibly challenging uh, putting green, 18 holes set up on it. There was real, real grass, so this isn't the carpet. This is the real stuff, the same stuff that they, same champion Bermuda grass that's throughout the, the golf courses at Pinehurst Resort. There was one hole so challenging that we did not finish it because our balls kept rolling down a hill 50 feet from the hole, and I didn't actually see anybody else finish that hole. But that was this morning. Before this morning, while we were still in Myrtle Beach, which is a great golf city and also a great miniature golf city, we played two two locations. We played technically more than two courses. The first was Captain Hooks, which was a part of the Carolinas GCSA, an event put on by Corteva. It was a miniature golf outing. There probably what? Probably about 120, maybe even 150 people at that. That was awesome. That was the first time that Corteva has ever done that. I think it's the first time since I've been going to the Carolina show that anybody had done an event at a miniature golf course. They rented out Captain Hook's Adventure Golf, I believe it was called, which was right between the uh, the convention center and the Sheraton where a lot of people stay and the breakers where a lot of people stay. So it was within walking distance of where a lot of people are sa- staying. But yeah, Corteva rented out the entire miniature golf course and let people go at it. There were some drinks out there. Uh, some drinks. They left at one in the morning, and there was not a drink left in the in the clubhouse. Yeah, it started at nine thirty, went till one a.m. The owners were uh, very understanding, and you know there there isn't a lot of uh, night miniature golf revenue in Myrtle Beach in in November. There's probably you know millions of dollars made on miniature golf courses in the summer, but not not, not that time of year. So the owners were happy to take the revenue and happy to let the uh, the superintendents and other assistant superintendents and students and other industry partners that Corteva had out on on Monday night uh, as long as they wanted. It was a little. It wasn't really that cold either, you know. None of the Carolinas guys, once they had 
and, and girls once they had some drinks in them. They weren't complaining about the weather in the mid 40s. All of a sudden, it, all of a sudden, it wasn't that bad at night. It was a little bit chilly on the golf course during the afternoon. But once once the night hit, nobody was really saying anything about it. And what a fun event! There was a DJ. There were. Um, there were some interactive things. There were, I think there was a match play portion where there were some prizes given out. There was some swag given out. There was, um, you know, Corteva did a good job of uh, marketing its products with some signage during the event. And it was a rousing success. The superintendents that I talked to the next day that went there had a blast. You know, who, who would have known that, you know, people that spend all day on the golf course would want to go to a miniature golf course at night. But really, I think there are some lessons to be had for companies that are trying to put on events at these uh, shows and conferences to think outside the box a little. You know, I think the initial reaction would be miniature golf. Really, who wants to do that? But everybody had a blast. I hope Corteva does it next year, next year and I hope they extend an invite again to golf course industry because we will definitely be back. And I have a feeling that 120 superintendents may turn into like 200 next year because the thing had a buzz. And the superintendents and assistant superintendents who didn't go, that saw some pictures on social media, heard some stories about it, uh, the reaction was, dang, I wish I was there. Except for the next morning when the superintendents who were there until 1 a.m. had to show up at about 8 a.m. for a seminar with minimal sleep and maybe a few more beers than normal. We, that was technically the first time we played together. We, we said the first time we played together really was this morning at Pinehurst at the Cradle. Uh, we, we did play together about 15 holes at Captain Hooks. We played a nine, and I took that one. Surprisingly, you are the far superior golfer to me, but I took you by three strokes, despite you being up, I think, two or three strokes. I think you're up two strokes through two holes. I, I was too busy tweeting and doing our job and promoting the event on social media to focus on my uh, mini golf game that night, Matt. That's your excuse. Okay. So I took you by three strokes, and then there was a match play portion of the evening. We wound up just playing each other, and I surprisingly took you there as well. I believe it was it was it two and one. I think it was two and one. Um, if it wasn't two and one, it was one up. Um, and so you said before we left Myrtle Beach, you wanted another opportunity, another crack at me. And so our last full night in Myrtle Beach, we called around, and after a very nice dinner, we we finally found a mini golf emporium that was open. A couple were closed. They closed at four during the off season. So we found a place called uh, Cancun Lagoon. It was built in and around a Mayan temple. There were 27 holes. I believe there were 12 indoors and 15 outdoors. And we played 36 holes. And you wound up taking 13 holes. I took 10 holes. You beat me by, I believe it was five strokes. But if we were playing match play, I think it would have been two and one. It was a pretty close back and forth game. And I tell you what, 36 holes. It was uh, mentally exhausting, I think. Yeah, I did not go to Myrtle Beach expecting to play any miniature golf. And what? I think we ended up playing close to 50 holes. You played over 50 holes of miniature golf. I think I played, if my math is right, 49 holes of miniature golf just in Myr Myrtle Beach. Yeah, we didn't expect to do that. But I think that 
this kind of runs into a theme of a lot of these greens with envy podcasts are is just get out and do things do things different right like maybe you didn't think that miniature golf would be something you wanted to do on a work trip but we went out and did it we did it twice and we had a lot of fun and maybe some of those superintendents and assistant superintendents were maybe teetering on whether to go to a miniature golf event maybe they wanted to go to the typical event that's at a that's at a that's at a establishment an indoor establishment but when you get out of your comfort zone and go out and do things, you're gonna have memorable experiences. Like going to Pinehurst today, that made this trip significantly longer for us, but it's something that neither of us will ever forget. It was my second time at the golf courses at Pinehurst, your first. It was uh, really, really special being there. And it was special to do some different things in Myrtle Beach. And you know, we're not saying we, we just played golf and uh, played miniature golf the whole time. No, we, we worked hard and like a lot of the superintendents at the Carolinas GCSA conference and show, they were really grinding it, taking classes, having meaningful conversations that are going to make their golf facilities better. But uh, just just get out, do things, get out, get out of that comfort zone, go places, uh, and take your assistance with you too. Because, like I said earlier in the podcast, it means more to people that don't get to do these things all the time than the people that, like us, Matt, that maybe are starting to um, think that this is the norm. Right. So an hour in, this was a tremendous trip. We still have about five hours until we get back to Cleveland, but it's late. It feels like it's midnight already. It's so dark out here on the West Virginia Turnpike. Um, so I think now is as good a time as any to wrap up. I don't think anybody's going to listen to much more than an hour with road noise in the background. And if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Um, Guy? Anything to add from the Carolinas GCSA show or anything from the Carolinas, the drive up and back, anything we didn't touch on? No, if you live in another part of the country and you're curious about reading about the Carolinas GCSA conference and show, go to golfcourseindustry.com. We have a tab showing event coverage. All of our stories are archived there. You'll find some stuff that's relatable to you, even if you're not in the Carolinas. We have our turf heads takeover issue coming up, our January state of the industry issue coming up and we will be uh on the road well i won't i won't be on the road till i don't know when i get a little break from traveling but matt's heading into the Sagenta business institute here in less than two weeks and that'll probably be our next greens with envy and then after that it's uh it's getting ready to go to florida for the golf industry show yep so again as guy just said i'll be in winston-salem in a couple weeks if you're listening to this between now and let's say the first week of december and you want me to stop at your course you're in winston-salem or you're between winston-salem and cleveland and not far off i-77 i would love to stop at a couple courses talk with some folks get some stories and see what you're up to so let me know m-l-a-w-e-double-l-g-i-e.net or on twitter m-a-double-t-l-a-w-e double L. As Guy mentioned, our turf heads takeover issue coming out here in a few weeks. Thank you so much to everybody who turned in a story for that. Trying to do your words justice uh, in the layout right now. That'll go to the press here in a few days. And thank you so, so much to the hundreds and hundreds of superintendents. We got almost 600 responses to the State of the Industry Survey. That's going to make that an incredible uh, just package and really, really helpful, we think, to a lot of folks. You'll get to hear kind of what your peers are doing writ large. Thank you so much to everybody we mentioned by name at the Carolinas GCSA conference and show and everybody who made this a great trip. And if we did not mention you by name during the last hour, it was an oversight on our part. 
Uh, if we talked with you at all at this conference and show, thank you so much for taking the time and making it a great, great, great week in Myrtle Beach. And thanks so much for listening to Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network. The next time you hear from us, we'll be back in the studio and there won't be nearly as much road noise. For Guy Cipriano, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Pittsburgh, Parkersburg, Gravelburg, Colorado, Ellensburg, Rexburg, Vicksburg, Eldorado, Laramore, Atmore, Havistock, Chattanooga, Chaston, Nebraska, Alaska, Opelika, Baraboo, Waterloo, Kalamazoo, Kansas City, Sioux City, Cedar City, Dodge City, what a pity. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere.